Then we are ready for a new episode of uh, the podcast of Is Learning, and this time also in 100% English with my lovely guest, uh, Sara Christ from the University of Southern Denmark. Welcome. Thank you. You work as an um, educational consultant in yes. e-learning, and you also have a lot of titles, really. Yes. Tell well, me a little bit about yourself. <laughs> uh, well, I started my current job at the University of Southern Denmark uh, three years ago. And my full title is I'm a specialist consultant for educational development and e-learning. Every day, I just I work with teaching and learning. Yeah. Um, and before I came to SDU, uh, the University of Southern Denmark, I worked for about 10 years teaching Danish as a second language to internationals. Mm. So my background really is in linguistics originally, language learning, um, and then teaching. Yeah. So, yeah. You work at the uh, Faculty of Engineering. Yes. How many faculties are there at your university? Uh, there are five faculties, and the Faculty of Engineering is the third largest. We have about a little over 4,000 students and uh, 600 employees, and uh, roughly 450 of those are teachers. Yeah. Yeah. So quite a large. Yeah, it's a, it's a large faculty. The university as a whole has uh, 20-something thousand students. Mm. And I know that you are quite passionate about uh, teaching and learning. I am. Why? (laughs) Uh, Oh, it's just, it's always fascinated me. I've known since I was quite young that I wanted to be a teacher. I think it's a wonderful process. It it really enriches the world of of all the participants. So when you're teaching, I feel that you're also learning something. And I think that's just absolutely beautiful mm. um, and and that's what made me want to uh, to pursue that path mm. is is not necessarily that I wanted to teach but that I wanted to learn yeah. and I was curious about how others learn mm. um, and initially particularly about language yeah. and and how language shapes the world but also how the way we share knowledge shapes our perception of the world mm. And I know that within the topic of education, one of your passions are the learning environment, mm-hmm. uh, and especially in regards to student-centric learning. Yes. Again, as I said, my starting point for working with teaching and learning was as much the learning part as the teaching part. And at the University of Southern Denmark, we have underlying principles of education, which are, are written down and which are focused on student-centered learning mm. and active teaching and learning is is the, a central point. Mm. So the, the students need to be active. And I think traditionally in higher ed, that hasn't always been the case. No. And st- it still sometimes is difficult. Uh, if you have a class of 150 students, if they're all active, it does make some noise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's difficult as a teacher to facilitate. Yeah. Um, but but still, I think as an underlying principle, it works really well and it, it speaks to my own philosophy of, of teaching and learning. Mm. I just You just learn more if you get to experiment with it, really. Yeah. Well, could you elaborate a little bit on what is student-centric learning? Uh, well, student-centric learning takes a starting point in the student, basically. Um, of course, it needs to be a framework and there needs to be some sort of goal. You, you need to, as a teacher, you need to know an end point, but there can be so many paths there. Mm. 
And sometimes even you will take a path and you will get somewhere else <laughs> that you did and it could be just as valuable mm. or even more valuable. And then you'll have to get to the, the end goal next time. But when you say that you, you start with the students mm-hmm. and you said that you could have over 150 students, mm-hmm. how, how do you start with the students? Well, I think, and this is from my own working experience as a teacher, The difficult task you have as a teacher is setting up a framework which gives room for the students. You have to trust that if you set up something that where you describe to them in some way, not how to reach the goal necessarily, but you point out a few paths and you maybe just some points along the way that you go for this, but how you get there, that's up to you. Yeah. Um, and if you are able to set up that kind of framework, it scales. Mm. It, it it doesn't matter if it's one person or 25. If you have 150, you might need to be clearer on the paths <laughs> so they don't go too far. But but then again, uh, wonderful things happen. Mm. Yeah. And you also explained to me when, when we met the first time today that when the, when the students are walking along this path, you, always, you also told me that... Um, uh, you, you kind of gave me an image that you're planting trees mm-hmm. along the path. And that was very nice explained. Yeah, well, um, I, I think because the students can't always see the end goal. And and you can try to explain it to them, but they really have to get there on their own in order to understand. And then motivating them <laughs> to go towards it, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense to them initially. You have to make the path interesting. Mm. There's a balance, of course, because just setting up stand-up comedy as a teacher, you can get the students to go (laughs) where you need them to go, but they won't necessarily learn what they need to learn. Uh, So, yeah, you you have to make the path interesting, Mm. but they have to walk it on their own. So Mm. if you can plant a few trees and some flowers, and they can look at those along the way, even if uh, they have to go over a hill to get to the end, or through the hill, or whatever they end up choosing... Just getting them to to start walking, basically. And from your perspective, you say that once you are working with the students, you also say that you get them to be motivated. Yes. How do you know when your students are motivated? Oh, that's a, a really interesting question. And I think, again, as an educational consultant, my everyday job is to teach the teachers how to do this. So I don't necessarily always see how it actually works in the classroom, but drawing from my own experience, it really comes back to the framework. Mm. It comes back to to showing them those possible paths and asking them sometimes why would why does it make sense to you to go here? Mm. What do you what do you see? in this because sometimes I will think I have set up a very clear framework (laughs) and I know this doing workshops as well for teachers I will think this exercise is perfectly clear and I I can recognize yes (laughs) and then they go and they do something entirely different with it and I think that is glorious Mm. I think as a teacher it takes a lot of bravery to teach like that Mm. because If you go in and you do a traditional lecture, you have a number of slides and you talk your way through it, then you know when you leave the classroom, you've done what you needed to do, mm. right? You've, you've told them what they needed to hear mm. and it's it feels safe. But going in there with your framework 
and trusting that they're gonna that the paths that you've drawn or the paths that they end up taking will take them where they need to go mm. it takes so much bravery mm. and you, you have to fail too like sometimes it fails yeah. <laughs> sometimes you think this is gonna be absolutely wonderful and they look at you like what and that's a horrible feeling yes, <laughs> yes. And then you're standing there and you're just like, oh, please, anyone, anyone. And yeah. then suddenly small parts. And yes. then you manage to turn your way around. And yes. then exactly. It's back to the bravery, right? Mm. Just letting the room be quiet for five minutes. Mm. Such a long time. Yeah. Uh, but but it works. And sometimes it doesn't. And I feel like that's what we want to teach the students, too. It's okay to fail. It's okay to go for that path that might lead somewhere wonderful and then discover that it didn't. Because we are, in a way, preparing them for life, right? Exactly. At university. Yeah. Yeah, but also for the way the labor market looks today. Mm. The, the students that we are teaching, they will go into jobs where they need to be innovative mm. and they need to be brave. Mm. And I think as teachers, we can, you know, show them. Yeah. That it's okay and we can show them that, that failing, you know, you get back up mm. and you see what you learned. Mm. Um, and it's okay to fail. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I actually think this is something I've reflected on because I was originally educated within the humanities myself ah. and now I work within engineering and I know very little about engineering. But I think what I experience with the teachers is that they are used to fiddling with things and then something explodes and that's just fine <laughs> we can build a new one and i have so much respect for that and i think that's what we need to take with us into the classrooms it's just well let's let's try this out let's spend 10 minutes doing this thing that seems odd because usually we do it in another way and then see what happens yeah i think it's a, it's a great lesson to teach the students And I believe a lot in practicing what you preach. So if you're telling the students not to be afraid of failing and to try things out, why not do it yourself? Yeah. It's a really important point, really. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Because we can't teach them anything that we are afraid of not touching ourselves. No, exactly. And we want them to be active. We want them to learn. We want them to do things. So we need to show them. But you did talk about framework and how important the framework is. Mm -hmm. And... Being at the university, of course, there is a lot of faculties, a lot of lectures and professors and teachers. And how are you working with, like, have a common framework? Well, as I said before, we have this these underlying principles. Again, people sometimes read into things <laughs> and, from different perspectives, but I think they're quite clear. Mm. It's just one page. But this idea of what is the student's responsibility? What is the teacher's responsibility? What is the management's responsibility? And really formulating this. And then in all our projects within educational development or e-learning, taking that as our starting point, even though it's not necessarily all teachers who go into the classroom every time and do exactly that, the fact that Anytime we have a project, that's the first thing we look at. Mm. Say, so how this, how does that speak into the underlying principles? But I think it's very interesting because some of the principle about our work life as adults is that we know what 
what is expected from us. Mm-hmm. And when we know what's expected from us, it's easier to, to do the job and to be successful in the job. Yes. And it's the same with the students. If they know what's to be expected of them, they mm-hmm. know how they can act on it. Yes. And it's I think it's very important. And I I yeah, becoming glad in my teacher heart that there is a universe that it's really keen and eager on and focus on this yes. this is important it it really is and and as you said we need to do them the same favors as we would expect so again if you look at a, a researcher and their job their job is to dare mm-hmm. right is to to break new ground to go deep into something they find very interesting they expect to have time for this they expect to have support and they should we should provide the same to the students mm-hmm. within the level they're at. Of course. Because of course, for first-year students, they need more support than master students, for mm. instance. But you have students now that already have been in the student-centered learning a little bit of a time. Yes. So can you see any progress on the one who's been staying in this, let's call it path, for a longer time? Or oh, the first that's year? interesting. And I think it's so difficult to measure. Mm. Because it, teaching and learning is very complex. Mm. So what we can see, the underlying principle is was established before my time. Uh, so it's it's quite it had, many years ago, mm. I believe. I think when we look at teaching and learning, it can be difficult to see what works, because how do we define when when is it working? Good is it working when they pass their exams? Mm. And I think again, personally for me, it's a matter of joy. As a teacher, when you're standing in a room and the the students are learning, you can feel it. Yeah. Like it's just, it's right there. And I think that's what we should strive for. I believe that that's the hallmark of good teaching and learning. And sometimes you can measure it with, with the question coming back to you. Yes. Yes. And the activity, mm. basically. Yeah. And then again... I myself as a student, I remember starting at university and I had some very set expectations Mm -hmm. of how that would be. Uh, And I was very prepared to sit in a lecture hall with a hundred other students and listen to someone very clever, Mm -hmm. talk about something important and take my notes Mm -hmm. and be quiet and leave and take the exam and pass it. And to some extent, that's what I did. Mm -hmm. So my active teaching and learning was just different and I feel like that's what that's what student-centered learning is about is also has room for students like me who didn't say much in class but who still took so much with me Mm. um yeah entering the adult life with expectations yes (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly but we did also talk about um there is let's say that there are a lot of generations now Mm mm-hmm and we know there are new generation coming. Yeah. And we also know that um, they have been through some parts of life that we never were before we started our student life. Yes. But how can we be sure that, or can we be sure really, that we are making the path ready for them? Oh, that's a, a great question. And it's something that we talk about a lot um, at my workplace currently. Um, I think that's the beauty of student-centered learning. Because if you have... If you start from the teacher or from the subject, then that doesn't really change or it doesn't allow for change. Whereas with the students, if you start from the point of view of the student, when then there's room 
for this, for the new generation, for the uh, the young people who have a life which is in some ways much more complex than ours. Or at least it feels that way to me. It might not to a young person. Uh, but just having life where you are, but also on digital media, and, and those are equally important. I feel like they must be present in so many places all at once. Yeah. And, and having they get influenced from all over. Yes, because they don't have to go to the library to get a book to learn about something, yeah. right? They have a choice of a hundred different sources and they use it and it is glorious. I, I wish I had that those opportunities <laughs> as a child. I But then it also, I think it makes it all the more important that we are good at helping them find the paths. Mm. Like, so it's fine to take all this knowledge you have to take it with you, put it in your backpack and take it with you and, and go down that road yourself. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's just, I think for someone who's not from that generation, it's easy to misunderstand what's going on mm. and to think that young people today are unable to sit still and, <laughs> and learn something in yeah. a traditional sense. Yeah, But just because you need to move around or because you draw on many different sources. Mm. Some of those are not traditionally recognized uh, and there might be issues with them, but then teaching them, the students to navigate that and really helping them rather than maybe insisting on doing it the way that you were taught yourself mm. or, or perceiving it as the students not wanting to learn mm. uh, or not being able to. That it's a, it's such a difficult balance. It is, and and like you said, if say that they were measured by how much they were sitting at their desk and studying, mm-hmm. if that would be the measure, then it could look like they would be succeeding. Yes, <laughs> but it doesn't mean they were ne- necessarily passed their exams. No, so no. it's it's yeah, it's a very complex and and difficult area, sort of. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, like you were saying, when when you were a student or. Probably the same as for, my, for me when I went to the library and a book was occupied. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and now they, just... there are so many more solutions for them. It kind of drives them to collaborate in new ways. Yes, yes, that's true. And to learn in new ways, right? So they're in a room mm. together, but I feel like the new generation is also... like There is this idea that, that they are quite self-centric, maybe, but I think... At least what I'm seeing is that they're very preoccupied with community also in like smaller communities and maybe also communities that, that change a lot. So you're part of a group and then you might be part of another group and then this is interesting and then that is interesting. And I just feel like in the learning process, there is something golden to harvest from that. So, I mean, team-based learning uh, didn't come from nothing. No. And, and I actually think if we, if we, we you could look at our young people that way, we can take what they're good at and we can st- they will still go down the, the path or they will still end up at the end goal, but they might need to start somewhere entirely different from, from what we're able to imagine. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, it is. I, I think so. And I don't have any definitive answers. No, but it's like uh, when I'm talking to you, my, my head spins with a lot of thoughts as well. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting. And I think it's it's very important, maybe especially in higher education, to be aware of this and to know that the mm-hmm. students, this is what occupies them. Uh, and uh, would you say in any way when it comes to collaboration that this benefits collaboration? I would think so, yes. Again, if you if you set up the framework for them to to do it in a fruitful way um, definitely mm. and and maybe also explain to them you said i think another thing that well that is really human but maybe it takes up more space for the new generation is this chase of meaning so th- th- like th- things really need to be meaningful in order for you to to go there mm. and maybe it's a product of having so many choices mm. You have to choose something and you also have to be able to say, well, I'm not, this is not, I'm not doing this because if you try to do everything, you will break. So really listening to the students and helping them make meaning out mm. of what they're doing. So asking them, ideally, I know in a room of 150, that's <laughs> not easy, but still there are tools for it mm. and just helping them reflect as I said, they, they can't always see the end goal. And especially the first couple of years in the university, there are some fundamentals that you just have to learn. And you might not always find them interesting. And it might take some years for you to then have that course where you think, oh, thank God I did grammar on the first semester. <laughs> <laughs> but on the first semester doing grammar, you might not love it. Uh, or mathematics mm. or whatever it is. And the very fundamentals. But just helping the students, talking to them about this. And maybe even taking a starting point in that thing that we're going to do in the fifth semester that you will absolutely not be able to do now, but just letting them know this is going to happen. What do you think about these issues? Um, is there, what, what in here makes sense to you? What do you find meaningful? But if there is any, any from, um, yeah, say, higher education or other universities or institutions who are listening to us now, would you... Give them any advice on how how to get started with student-centric learning. Be brave. Find that within yourself because that's really what it takes. And also, I think as a teacher, we all have different ways of teaching and different styles. So look for that corner of student-centered learning that suits you. Don't necessarily... Look for all different kinds of tools. But when you choose something, own it. And be brave about it. And then just do it for 10 minutes the first time. If you can, don't. I know that some people might prefer to just turn everything on its head <laughs> and more power to them. But I think for me, on my journey as a teacher, I started out small. Mm. Because then you know if it fails, it's 15 minutes. It doesn't feel great. But then you can go back to doing what you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then the next time you can try something else. Yeah. And like you said, try to be brave. Exactly. Mm. Just know that it's okay. Mm. You might fail. You could even tell the students. I should listen, guys, I learned something new <laughs> and you're gonna help me figure out how it works in real life. It takes fifteen minutes, it might be great and it might not, but we're gonna do this together. Mm. And be a part of it. Yeah. Exactly. This has been really interesting, Zara, and to have a chat with you. And thank you for sharing. And uh, it's lovely to 
hear Atita talking about how a student can find their both inner and outer motivation. This has yeah. been an interesting. For me too. <laughs> Thank you. Det var en episode av Skoletid, en podcast för dig som intresserade för läring, pedagogik och mastering i en digital utbildningsvärld. Abonnera gärna och lägg gärna en vurdering eller en anmälan där du hör på podcast. Du finner förresten massa goda episoder i vårt arkiv och följ oss på Instagram för mer innehåll. Mitt namn är er Beat Katrine Mo. Vi hörs nästa gång.